What's up, Jets fans, and welcome to a special 2023 New York Jets schedule reaction episode of Jet Nation Live. We are your hosts, Dylan Terriman and Glenn Naughton. Um, I think if you've been scrolling on Twitter throughout most of the day, you've seen at least 10 of the games that were already on the Jets schedule. Um, the entire thing has been confirmed now. I believe it was Brian Costello of the New York Post about an hour ago who broke the whole thing. And now they are doing the entire thing as a national tele- televised event. Glenn, how are we doing? I know we've gotten a quick peek at the schedule, but we'll dig into it. How are we doing tonight? Doing good. You know, uh, it's I know a lot of people make a big deal out of schedule day. I mean, it's it's interesting to me from a travel perspective and maybe sort of, you know, a couple little if there's anything crazy here and there, but really at the end of the day, it's when your games, you know, but you, you do, you know, you want to see how it plays out. Are you expecting the schedule to get, you know, to, for the schedule to be tough early and, and soften up later, which is, it's fun to talk about and think about now, but none of that matters because really, you know, you might say, Oh, here's these really three really tough teams early on. And then a couple of them don't have their quarterback that week. And another one doesn't have their best running back. And all of a sudden it's not that tough. So, or not as tough, I should say. So it, it's fun to talk about, look at. I don't get too crazy about it, but um, there is there is some value to it, and it's definitely worth the you know worth the conversation. Yeah, I'm glad you said uh, miles and and trips and road trips and things of that sort because it triggered my brain back to a graphic I saw. I believe it was yesterday that the Jets have the seventh fewest miles traveled in the 2023 regular season, as well as the second fewest time zones. So when I think of those two things, I think we're staying home. You know, the farthest out west we go is um, Las Vegas and Denver, I believe, as it currently stands. So I don't think this is a a terribly tough schedule. We've known the opponents for however long since the day the season ended. We've known all the opponents. It was just piecing them in the right order. Um, You can have that Colin Cowherd um, type mentality to it and say, that the first four months of the Jets schedule is a doozy and that it's good good night for Aaron Rodgers and the Jets in the first month. And I think that's the worst attitude you could possibly have. That guy's guy's such an idiot. Yeah, exactly. I feel like you shouldn't have that type of mentality, but he's one of those, no, but he's one of those people. You, there's a few people in sports media where you feel like these people got lucky and that like they got in early before you had to be good at it to do it. Like you just had to sort of be in the right position or, you know, maybe know the right person or whatever. But some of the – and I get that they have to say crazy stuff to get people to listen, to get the clicks and the eyeballs and all that. But I just feel like you should be able to do that with a platform that size um, by just saying intelligent things. But they, you know, they they rarely take that route. All these shock jock whatevers. Um, you know, Cowherd's a moron. Um, he used to be pretty good at picking games, if I'm not mistaken. But other than that, um, he, he's, he's a tough listen – so I don't I, I mean, the only reason I see anything about him is when he says something stupid enough that it makes it to my feet and then I hear it. But other than that, like I would never purposely listen to the guy. Yeah, I believe the way it found its way to my timeline was one of the Jets, you know, Twitter guys quote tweeting it with a even worse take that he had when he asked where he could purchase his 2020 AFC championship tickets with Adam Gase and Sam Darnold at the helm. Exactly, so. which he now says was sarcastic. I was being sarcastic. Of no, course. You and, you it and you're a moron. Mm-hmm. You thought Adam Gase was Vince Lombardi. Right. Um, yeah. 
And like and you said, that's their personality. Primetime games. I'm, I, I love it. What do you think of that real quick? Before we get into the specific games, what mm-hmm. do you think of the number of primetime games, Dylan? So, yeah, I, I put his comment up. We'll put it back up. I think the, the primetime games, <clears throat> as a viewer, it's kind of, you know, kind of crappy. You wait all day for the game to happen. And, you know, for our perspective, we do things right after the game, post-game reactions and articles and whatnot. So we're up a little bit later. And for you overseas, you're probably watching the sunrise with most of these One, games 115 now. kickoff on these games. Oh, geez. So, yeah, by the time you go to sleep on, like, say, Monday night football, we'll start right there with the Buffalo Bills. If they win that game, the hype that you're going to have at 4.30 in the morning, you're going to just yep. – pour a cup of coffee and watch this or something stronger and watch the sun come up. So I am kind of concerned from the viewership standpoint, I can stay awake. It's not that big a deal, but I noticed that they do have back to back primetime games, which makes it a short week. They have a Monday night against the chargers and then a Sunday night against the, the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. Um, but other than that, I don't, I didn't think this was out of the norm. We've heard they were going to get the maximum amount or potentially right up to the maximum amount. And they got it. They got all, five with uh, a special televised game on black friday my my tweet that i put out said six primetime games and i had five comments that said it's it's five black friday doesn't count right. i apologize when we're the only game on tv i consider that you know it, it's nationally televised or it's national prime time on your clock but, but it's, it's, it's technically prime not prime. right exactly so we have five and uh buffalo monday night football which i think is going to be rocking kansas city on sunday night week four which is home uh, we got lucky. A lot of home games. Monday night against the Chargers. Sunday night, that is in Las Vegas. Um, and then the final one is Cleveland on Thursday night. That is in Cleveland. So to me, I like those. They're good matchups. They're strong matchups. You know, the first two just pull ratings, Jets, uh, Bills and Jets, Chiefs. I think the Jets, Chargers is a really sneaky, good matchup. I'm not too like keen on, you know, the Vegas Raiders. I think, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is mess. So like that kind of matchup doesn't really shine to me. And then Cleveland, it's kind of a wild card. So they could be really good at week 17 and be fighting for a playoff spot. And obviously the Watson, doesn't it? Right. Watson is the best catchers, man. They've got some. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they have one of ours. And uh, so it'll definitely be interesting. What are your thoughts on the primetime games? Are you a fan? I know we just talked about your sleep schedule, but yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm never a huge fan of them because, and it, it's not just the the one a.m. kickoffs, which is a big enough hassle. Um, I, I hate waiting through the early games. I hate it. Um, Monday mm-hmm. nights, I, like watching all the games Sunday, I hate it. So it's nice that they're viewed now as a team worth having the whole country watch. But man, to me, nothing better than a one o'clock game. You know, I mean, that, that's bad enough. You know, I used to hate. I used to when I lived in New York, I used to be like, man, those lucky. You know, those those fans in California get, you know, 10 a.m. start. You get to roll mm-hmm. out of bed and turn on your TV and the game's on. Like, what's better than that? And now I'm the complete opposite. I have like a full day of activity before games start at 6 p.m. Um, and that's on a one o'clock game. So, you know, 1 a.m. kickoffs are no fun. At least now my, you know, I have more flexibility in my schedule. It used to be brutal when I was active duty and they'd get like, I remember the Geno Sunday night game in Atlanta. Um, the worst were the losses though, like get up at 1am or get up to watch a game at one ends by four 30, got to get up for work in an hour and a half. And they lost the game. So miserable. And yeah, not a lot of that this time though. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we're talking winning record in all scenarios across all, you know, all every possible schedule layout. 
hopefully they're they're coming away with a winning record, you know, and the primetime games. I look at the schedule, I'm thinking 17 and 0. I don't know how you feel, Dylan. I think it I think it plays out nicely. The the roadmap is there. Just, you know, win them all and just it's it's that simple. I was going to say with Aaron Rodgers, every game is a W. No, this it's not that easy obviously and you can take that Colin Cowherd approach of the the tough schedule in the beginning of the season, but I think that's kind of a repeat of last year. Uh, 0 and 8, 1 and or 1 and 8, 1 and 9, 0 and 9, whatever Brady Quinn said in the beginning of last season. Like that, that is what's going to be said again. Even though we have Aaron Rodgers, even though because we haven't proven anything yet, and I understand right. that we're not on the field, we're not ready to you know show the world everything we have. These videos of Aaron Rodgers thrown in in practice, you know, jerseys is all you know hype and everything for the fans, but no one outside the the fandom kind of believes in the jets right now. So I think maybe come August when joint practices roll around and we're getting reports that, you know, the jets are looking really good against these other teams, potentially then the the narrative will shift, but yeah, everybody's going to look at these first six games and I'll go through them quick. Buffalo, Dallas, new England, Casey, Denver, Philly leading up to the bye, And they're already asking, well, what's the record going to be at the bye week? Is it going to be three and three or two and four? And I'm like, I don't know. Like we can't put the cart before the horse here. Like let's just, we have Buffalo. We know they're the opponent week one. Now we have many, many months to plan for Buffalo and kick their ass. Like we have to do it. Like we beat them once last well, year. We're going to, we're going we're gonna to get into the draft classes in a minute, but Buffalo did all right for themselves. Yes. Buffalo, I, we will Buffalo certainly get in. very talented and uh, they did all right. For them. But I mean, listen, you know, you split with those guys last year, competitive in the loss. Um, and that was with bad quarterbacks. You know, that's that's the thing I keep trying to stress to people is that this team, no, they didn't make the playoffs, but they were in the playoffs late in the year, and they threw like 11 touchdowns as a team. I mean, it's, you know, that like there's, a, there's literally a chance they can almost triple their touchdown production this year. Mm-hmm. Like, if you can do that, and you were in the playoff hunt in December last year, I know the schedule is tougher, I get that, but my God. Like th- this team couldn't buy a touchdown last year, and uh, and they were in it late, and and now we've got a quarterback who's had tremendous success with this OC, and I expect points. Listen, I expect points, and yep. with the depth on this D line, that's why I did. You know, as as surprised as we were, that's why I understood and liked the Will McDonald pick because he's a guy that's going to allow you to. It's another set of fresh legs that hopefully. You know, we don't know what's going to happen with these guys, but if he plays as we project him, he's another guy with fresh legs who can get to the quarterback. And the Jets have a lot of those now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, could you imagine if Will McDonald in week one under the bright lights um, in the first game does like a uh, Jermaine Johnson type sack on Josh Allen when he contained and got out yep. to, the, to the outside and sacked him on, on that first down, which was a pivotal play. And like that was a people huge play. That, people don't realize that that shut down the entire drive. So, yeah, I that think that that, uh, that could be, you know, the the breakout game for Will McDonald. Do it right under the lights. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not – I don't want to ask you the question, but looking at those six games, how do you feel going into that bye week? Like, I mean, I think we could take care of Buffalo. I think we can keep up with Dallas. I know they're kind of a high-potent offense, but they lost Zeke. They've added some nice pieces, and – I think their defense is very good, but then you have New England early, which I like at home. 
Kansas City, which you get at home, which is another little sweetener because it's a prime time and it's at home. If you had to go to Arrowhead, that's a whole different environment. We've already won in Denver last year. Obviously, kind of beat PTSD with uh, Brees Hall and Elijah Vera Tucker. We'll see how they manage those guys that game. And then yeah. they come back home to play Philly. So, like, I don't know. I don't want to sound like a homer or optimistic, but five and two or four and two doesn't sound like stupid, right? That's that's where I, that's where I'm at looking at it. Yeah. Like, I mean, you can't you can't pick anyone to beat the Eagles right now at, with that season they sure. just had and that draft they just had. Um, but Jesus, like they're like 13 and 0 against the Jets lifetime. Like you would expect the Jets got to beat them at some point. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is that point. I think Philly is arguably, I mean, they're not arguably, they are a top two team right now. Um, however, yeah. you know, that when you have Aaron Rodgers and you have edge rushers, like you can the Jets have the talent to beat anyone. Now it's gonna be about execution. Um, but I that's I'm I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, all right, if we're gonna play that game where we try to guess what happens, I would say four and two. I think mm-hmm. uh, I think Dak is beatable. Somebody yep. said what I forget what it was. I heard somebody say a stat on Dak the other day, like he's got like thirty nine interceptions in his last forty two starts or something like that. Wow! Like, and I'm just I may be way off, but it was they were over a very large sample size. He he throws about a pick a game, which you don't really expect for a guy that makes the type of money he does. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I mean Dak beatable. I would love to go to that game. Um, the Pats, I mean, look, you lost to the Pats twice last year by a damn, you know, fluke. I mean, and that's the thing with the Pats, like their record last year wasn't that good. And the Jets handed them two wins. So really the Patriots, not a good football team. So four and two to me seems absolutely fine. I I think the wild card is Denver. How do they play under Peyton? Um, does Russell Wilson turn things around? Because Russell Wilson playing like the Russell Wilson of old makes him, you know, makes them a completely different football team. So that's the X factor. I would say I'm happy. I would say three and two, I'd feel pretty confident. And Denver, the X factor between four and two and, and you know, three and three. Yeah, when I said four and two, I, I was circling Kansas City and Philadelphia. Obviously, they're the Super Bowl uh, teams from last year. So obviously, I'm not going to say the Jets should should or could. I mean, they can win, but they aren't. That's not- that's the thing. That's the difference with this Jets team is that there's no one on their schedule that you would be shocked if they beat. Nope. That's the thing. Like you can remember, look at it and say, I can see them losing that game. But if they win, you're like, yeah, I, I can see that too. Yeah. Uh, I remember years past, you're like, oh, they're going to have to shock the world and everything's going to have to go perfect. And Zach Wilson's going to have to play the best game of his life and nobody can make mistakes. It's not like that now. Now it's like, all right, well, they're good enough to beat them. It's do they out, do they out execute them? Yeah. And I don't remember what our exact predictions were. Um, entering the week nine matchup against the Bills right before our bye week last season. But we both were just saying like, all right, you know, five and four at the bye, you know, we'll get there. We'll see what happens. Hopefully they don't put their tail between their legs. And like, they shut us up real quick. I know it was only a 20 to 17 victory, but like you said, that's with the quarterback play we had last year. And I understand the quarterbacks that we faced weren't always the top guy on their respective teams, but when you factor in all these things and you look at the schedule, nobody's guaranteed to play at full strength, not even week one against the Bills. Anything can happen. So I, I, I hate that argument that the Jets played soft quarterbacks and your tweet alluding to the points per game really didn't make a difference when you're holding them to under 20 points per game. And no, that got orders back up. Everybody was under 20 a game. And that got me thinking what, what we were talking about offline is 
27 was the highest amount of points the Jets let up in a loss last year. Minnesota and Cincinnati. Um, the year prior, they let up nine games of 27 or more points on defense. So when you couple that with Aaron Rodgers and a strong-ass defense, which we can get into Mina Kimes' comments and how she thinks it's a, a sustainable defense – Sky's the limit, man. Like, I'm looking at 10, 11, 12 wins. None of these teams, like, scare me. Kansas City scares me because Patrick Mahomes is, you know, right. the next Aaron Rodgers Philly in terms of his they're, ability. They're so good across the board. Right, Philly, exactly. like, 1 through 53 might be the best team in the NFL. Certainly, um, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. draft they just had? Is. Yeah. I mean, all Howie Rose, credit to him. He just, I'm, I'm just going to draft everybody from Georgia. Like, just put all the dogs in the bird. I know. As my friend why says, yep. You know, yep. They, they beat the snot out of everybody they play on Saturday. So let's just let them do it at the next level on Sundays. You know, ch- uh, credit to him. Championship mentality, easy chemistry with the rest of the defense. They have yep. like five elevenths of the defense yep. already established. And they got Keely Ringo at pick like 105. Just He's completely. One, though. I, I, this is, see, the problem is, with my the, the amount of driving I do, I listen to a million different draft podcasts, so I forget mm-hmm. which ones say what. And I can't remember which one. It was sort of midseason, and somebody was like, you know, and I, you know, all the shows I listen to are either, you know, former execs, former GMs, former scouts, you know, uh, TDN, you know, when the, you know when they had their guys in, in place, and you know, Chris Schubert obviously does the show now. But one of them mm-hmm. was saying they were like, oh, Keely Ringo, like he looks like a safety to me. He, I, I don't, you know, like, yeah. and, and he, and he, he did, he, he started to fall on a lot of mocks. Like early in the year, he was like top 15 guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as the season went on, he dropped a fair bit. He did, I don't think he dropped as far as he actually dropped in real life. But um, I, I think a lot of people view him as, you know, not really a corner, but who cares if you get a ball hawk safety um, in Keely Ringo, like the, the Eagles are just, and then they, tra- what they traded for, um, for, for Swift. You yep, know, another bulldog. Like, yep. It's like, man, we didn't draft enough bulldogs. Let's trade for one. So that's that's not a bad idea by Howie. Yeah, and uh, to go along with your Kiwi Ringo to safety point, that could be an option for him. They lost Chauncey Gardner Johnson in free yep. agency to the Detroit Lions, so anything can happen. Like when they, like like we talk about all the time with offensive line, putting your best five on the field. That's kind of what you do in your secondary. You have like your guys that do this and that, but when you have like a a nickel defense your slot corner and your safety can kind of be interchangeable if you have those types of players with the ball skills that they have and I think the Jets are trying to emulate something similar with their back end they have very versatile pieces and I think Chuck Clark is going to be a starter in this defense so you think about him and Whitehead together they on paper look like the same mold but they kind of do a little bit of everything and I know Chuck Clark doesn't do all the free safety stuff and neither does Whitehead but it's just interesting to see how defenses are kind of morphing their their versatility when it comes to their defensive backs as well. Um, the rest of this schedule, I mean, coming out of the bye, you have the Giants. That's a fun one. Um, Chargers, Vegas. I mean, the trip to Vegas is going to be a hoot for the Jets and all their fans. I mean, the, I think the goal is to play there twice, obviously, because the Super Bowl is there. So if the Jets fans can make it out there twice, that would just be something something pretty special. What do you think about yeah. those those back-to-back primetime games with the Chargers and the Raiders? Yeah, I mean, you know, the Chargers obviously scare you a little bit more. They have some real weapons, obviously an elite quarterback. Um, but the the Raiders don't worry you as much. But I'll, I'll tell you what, saying I'd like to get out to Dallas, I think I'd really rather get out to Vegas like that, just for that stadium. You know, mm-hmm. Vegas itself, the Strip, like I did that years ago for a concert. 
Um, I'm old, man. I was like, turn all this music down. It's too bright. Why is it? <laughs> why? I'm walking down the strip. Why is it so loud? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was happy to like, give me a couple drinks. You know, I don't need to sit at the bar and pay 50 bucks a drink. Just, just ha- have a couple in the hotel room. But the stadium itself, I'd love to go check out the stadium. Um, but same with Dallas, you know, that's, uh, that would be either, either of those places would be incredible. Yeah. I didn't want to like make it come off. Like I wanted the jets to play in, uh, Los Angeles as well, but could you imagine the Los Angeles, Las Vegas road trip? Say you were able to come out to, you know, go overseas and you went to both the, cause those are some of the most beautiful stadiums that the NFL yeah. has just built, uh, SoFi and Allegiant stadium. Yeah. So yeah, I'm ex- I'm excited for those games. Um, the back-to-back prime time is kind of and eh, whatever. It's a short week, which I think people need to monitor. We have a couple short weeks. Speaking of a short week, we have another one: Buffalo and then Miami on Black Friday. So we play the Bills, and then we have a short week both times we play them. Obviously, week one on Monday night, and now week eleven, and then entering a Black Friday. So those two divisional games followed by Atlanta, Houston, and then you have Miami again. What do you think about those that stretch? I think, you know, we'll kind of see what the Jets are at that point. You know, that's week mm-hmm. 11. We'll know what the Jets are pretty much going to be or are trending to be. So I think that's a good stretch. I mean, obviously, Buffalo, Miami back-to-back is never fun. But, I mean, I look at what Rodgers did to Miami last year, and he was throwing some of his best balls on Christmas Day against the Dolphins last year, late in the season. Yeah. So I'm excited for that. And then you have, I don't want to say cupcake games, but – games that you should think the Jets will be favored, if not heavily favored, in Atlanta and Houston, both at home, which only helps. So what do you think about those those couple of games in that stretch there? Uh, yeah, again, winnable games. You don't like the short week, but it's going to happen. You know, really, in general, you look at what some other teams are having to put up with, and the Jets got it pretty easy. Um, yeah. I don't know if you saw I, – I, I didn't see the full schedule. I just saw a tweet. Like, the Giants have seven road games in nine weeks at one point. That's yeah, tough. Um, and two game and like back to back games out west, something like that. Yeah, so, and I believe they go to London too. So it's yeah. tough. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're a good team time. last year, and that's kind of what happens. You kind of the schedule kind of influxes every year based on who the new trending teams are. I mean, <clears throat> I look at even Detroit. They got the first game of the season against Kansas City, and I know some people are saying, "Well, it doesn't matter. Ratings are ratings, and you can stick any team against the Chiefs first game. People are going to be starving." for, for yeah. football but i mean people think the lions are going to be something this year so you kind of see it re, re, uh, is that, reflected is that in the season schedule. opener is kansas yeah city detroit in kansas city thursday night why did i think one. it was new england somebody said new england the other day they, i don't know either way no I, um, no i believe, I believe it's, it's detroit um, that might have been fake i think i saw like new england philly somewhere oh okay but that could be bs that was a tweet yeah. i saw yesterday i think speaking um, of new england we end the season with them and I obviously know the track record with the Jets has been pretty rough for the past seven or eight years, not winning a, a damn game against them. But what do you think this year, the stretch Washington, Cleveland, New England to end, obviously two road games, but fairly easy opponents. I know Cleveland we talked about as a wild card, but if, if all things are going smoothly, we could potentially chalk these up as, as two out of three, if not three out of three wins if, if we're really rolling, right? I mean, that's the thing. I'm looking at I'm looking at this like this is a tough one. That's a tough one. That like, and I'm thinking these shouldn't be like th- yeah. you didn't just trade for Aaron Rodgers so that you know Cleveland might be a tough matchup. 
No, like you just got Aaron Rodgers. These are the games you're supposed to win. You're supposed to win most of them when you've got him. Um, New England, the final week of the season in a perfect world, that's Zach Wilson getting a chance to to get on the field and, 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 you know, get a little bit of revenge yeah. for last year's embarrassing, embarrassing loss and, and show that maybe he has something, you know, to be a quarterback in the NFL. Um, Zach Wilson again, fans love you right now. That's, that's perfect world. Um, yep. Yeah. Well, listen, you know, it's uh, fans are weird, man. Like there are, you, you cannot convince me that there are not fans out there rooting against Makai Becton and Zach Wilson, like Jets. Fans. Oh, it's so silly. It, hate, yes. Actively Jets hate. fans actively doing it. Zach it Wilson no and Makai Becton get, you would think they played for the Patriots dynasty. Like I, the way I, Jets I don't fans care. Talk yeah. about them. I don't care how much I don't like a player. How are you as soon not as they put on the Jersey. I root for them. Yeah, exactly. I don't care how much I dislike I mean, the player. Like you said, listen. I believe with Jason Taylor. Yeah, you didn't like him, but he put on the jersey, and you're like, all right, cool. All right, he's a Jet. Yeah, I, have to- I wasn't like cool. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to root against him, but damn it. I'm yeah. not going to cheer that loud when he does something well. But yeah, you're no, also not going to exactly. root for him to, to hurt his body and be out for a significant amount of time. So like, and right. I think it's a, it's a gross line that these fans try to cross. Like, we're fans of this team. We're not trying to like diminish the the players. And, and or the, the thing, like the thing with Becton, I know we're getting off target here a little bit, but I don't care mm. because it's important. Like yeah. the thing with Becton, e- even if you take an at least in my view, like if you take the negative aspect, oh, he let himself put on too much weight, it messed up his rehab. Okay, but can we just say perhaps, like maybe he's a young guy who made a mistake and maybe has done some growing up since having a child and has gotten his head on straight? Like, and I said the other day, I did a short video on him, like to the to the to the critics, like he he can do no right because he'll either not get in shape and he's lazy, but he does the opposite. He gets in shape. And now the haters are saying, well, he's greedy. He's he's got a contract coming. So he's getting in shape. Okay, so no matter what he does, you're going to rip the guy. So right. at least he's he's doing the right thing for himself, for the team. And even if having a kid and wanting money is his motivation. Listen, one one thing that we've seen shift over the last sort of 10, 15 years, a couple things really in the pro game, like players' willingness to anoint themselves the best in the league at their position, that didn't used mm-hmm. to be a thing, by the way. I know right. I'm a lot older yeah. than you. Players used to like respectfully say things like, it's nice to have my name mentioned in the conversation. It's an honor to be considered in the same class as those guys. Sure. That's what players used to say. Now they're like, who's the best? They're like me, duh. You know, like that's, that's a, that's a culture change. And, and the, the, what what's the, um, the public, like the instant, um, like gratification, not, not gratification. Um, I'm my, I'm brain farting. Um, the, the, the public, like making it clear that this is about the money. You see guys oh, like yeah, yeah. one or two, like a guy makes a play. Oh, yeah, you know, get the bag, go get your money, go get your money. Like yes. in, in years past, it was like, of course, money was important, but mm-hmm. winning was important enough that that's what you celebrated, like making a play to win. But right. a lot of times you see, and, it, and it's not always the players, a lot of times it's their teammates, you know, like you see a guy make a play and instead of like great play, want us the game, it's like, yeah, get paid, you know, sure. so those are like two huge shifts you've seen. So who cares if Makai Becton wants to get paid and he's getting in shape and getting ready to play well because of it. That's what a lot of these guys are doing. A lot of pro athletes do it because of the money, not like newsflash, not every football player. And I'm I'm not saying this applies to Makai Becton. Not every pro athlete loves the game they play. You know what I mean? You know, Willie Cologne used to say like some people play this game because they love the game. And some people play because it's a job. 
And it's yep. they, they look at it the same way the dude working at Walmart, working the cashier looks at it. I hate doing this, but I got to pay my damn bills. Exactly. You know? and, and, and I think that's why the Jets front office harps on that so much. They want people that live, eat, breathe football because that is not every single prospect coming out of the draft. And they need to find out through interviews who, you know, who takes that x-ray and has that dog in them. You know what I mean? Like they want to find out who has that, that football, like, I'm willing to die on the field. I don't want to quote Jamal Adams there, but you know what I mean? That type of mentality is what they right. look for. And that's I not think... every prospect. And, and going back, going back to Makai, players are motivated in many, many different ways, whether it is yep. the money or family base. Like he just had a child who knows, maybe he looked that baby in the face and was like, I got to make something for this you kid. Don't, you know, you like, don't know what that does. Exactly. To you don't know what that does to a exactly. man. I mean, and, listen, and you, some guys don't care. Some guys are sure. like, Oh my God, I got to get out of here. There's a baby in the picture and they bail. But some look at that kid and they're like, oh my God, this is my responsibility now. I'm the provider for this human being. And and they turn it around like that. And maybe that's what happened. I don't know what happened. All I know is the guys lost 50 pounds and it makes me want to puke. The Jets fans have so much hate. And and again, as is always the case, or as is often the case, it's a very small group of very loud, angry people. Mm -hmm. You know, I did I I sent out a tweet uh probably a year or so ago. You know, because Beckton sent off a couple of tweets, or it might have been when he wore the shirt, where he was clearly getting agitated. You know, he, he was feeling what people were saying. Um, and I sent out a tweet, like, you know, as a Jets fan, do you still view yourself like, do you still support Mekhi Beckton, or are you done with him? And it was like 88, 90% still support him. You know, it's just the loud vocal minority that screams how much they hate Mekhi Beckton. And, I mean, I feel like this happens every, you know, it's 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 not a rare occurrence because so many Jets players get trashed by their own fans. But add Makai Becton to the list of Jets players who I want to see dominate, not because he's a Jet, but because of how much garbage he's taken from the fans. Exactly. And and I don't know. Yeah, like you said, it's just assuming so much about his life and his mindset and where he's at. And I remember him tweeting a couple, I, I want to say it was a couple months now at this point, that he was never in a mental state as yes. positive as this. Yep. And to me, I was like, oh, my goodness, like this is the the type of like, you know, I see the messaging on the wall, whatever type of, you know, moment right. for Makai Becton where he's like coming to his own and he's going to realize like and that's what you want every player to do. So I just I feel like it's all. Yeah, it's players, people on Twitter that want to hide behind a keyboard and just shout, you know, big bust and, and you, know, you know, you're never going to do anything or boomer saying eat your way out of the league. Like, I think that's just. That it's clown garbage, stuff. Man. It's clown behavior, garbage. to be honest. And and I'm not even like a big Makai fan. Like I love what he does when he's on the field, but like obviously availability is your best ability, and I'm going to critique that. But I'm never going to say I wanted him off the team, and even though he wasn't my choice at tackle, like I'm going to hate him forever. Like if that was the mm-hmm. case, I would dislike a lot of the Jets picks. You know what I mean? So it's just yeah. it's silly. We have to root for this team and. We got a little bit off track, but I I agree. I think Makai Becton has been getting the the unfair shake. I, I can understand being time. skeptical. I can't understand the vitriol and the hatred. Yes. Like that's what that's I can't Yeah. To say that he will be hurt guaranteed or this and that. And like you said, only playing good to get the money. Like it's, you've already made it up in Most your guys mind. guys are you, playing well to get the money. That you aren't going to root for this guy anyway. So just yeah. can it essentially. Yeah. Um, circling it all the way back to the schedule. I think we talked through it and we, we did, we got to 17 and zero. like there's maybe, maybe 15 and two, if you mm-hmm. want to just give the chiefs and the Eagles a bone to chew on, but 17 yeah. and zero is where we settled pretty definitive at this point. 
Um, Rodgers is going to break home field locked up by week 15, and you, and you, yep. you know, Zach loses the final two. You know, the only way Rodgers doesn't break the passing yards record and touchdowns record is for that right. exact reason. They have it locked up way too early. Hey, who knows? The Jets could have you know, the game in hand when Rodgers is at that 60% snap threshold in the middle of the third quarter, you throw Zach Wilson in there and, hey, whoa, hey, we got a first-round pick and we're 17-0. and oh, Hey, yeah. <laughs> you never know well, what can happen. They would have to sit like six games. Set, oh, it games. would be it would be way too much Zach Wilson for me. So they'd have to start 10-0. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the thing I'd have to look at. I can't remember if it's percentage of, percentage of snaps or percentage of gains. I think it's snaps. I could be wrong, but I think it's snaps. Because if it's which, snaps, I'd be wanting to see Zach Wilson in a lot of fourth quarters. Yes. Give me that 20-point lead and, you know, let Zach Wilson run the ball for the rest of the fourth quarter. I think what was it? I think it was the Packers game. They didn't pass the ball one time in the fourth quarter in that yeah. win. So, like, th- let's just have that game script on repeat, and we'll get to 17-0. and 0. Uh, All right. We'll, we'll, we'll wrap on the schedule. Um, before we transition into the AFC East draft classes, I did want to mention the Jets made a roster move today. They cut tackle Cedric Abwehi. They signed him, re-signed him, excuse me, in April. Uh, minimal one-year deal. Had like nothing guaranteed, a little over 100000 So obviously he's now cut um, after they bring in Billy Turner and Carter Warren. I don't necessarily think this means anything in the short, like immediate for Carter Warren. I just think that they knew that that room was a little overloaded and, they had a boy he in case they weren't able to land a tackle that they liked in the draft, similarly to what they did with McGovern. Who knows what happens there? They're kind of loaded at offensive line too, um, but they're at interior offensive, excuse me. So uh, a boy he's cut. Uh, Billy Turner is probably your swing tackle, and Carter Warren and Max Mitchell are your developmental guys to back up everybody else. Um, any thoughts on on a boy he getting cut? Uh, not a surprise. I actually um, started a thread on the uh, the JetNation.com forums uh, yesterday or the day before. Just kind of similar. Some, I think we touched on it a week or two before that, saying, like, who do they keep on the O-line? Like, I, I you know, having drafted Tipman and brought McGovern back since mm-hmm. adding, you know, a couple of interior linemen through through free agency, I think a couple of these guys who they added might not roster because they've got a lot of uh, they got a lot of bodies on the interior. And at tackle, you know, by adding Carter Warren, by expecting Becton back. And I think that, you know, it's going to make some guys expendable who, you know, you thought might be a depth piece, but, you know, you know, who might not make the roster now. Yeah, I was just looking at the contract that they gave Wesh Schweitzer, excuse me, as I butcher that pronunciation. I believe it was a one-year deal. Okay, two years for five. So Schweitzer is probably going to stick on the roster. But then I look at other What's interior guys. Like, uh, I don't know that right off the top. Um, and that two for five is just the the rough number that was reported, not like the cap hits or anything like that. So you can look that up. But um, Tristan Cologne is the guy that I have my eye on because one year, $1.6 million, uh on his deal. I'm sure it's this very low cap hit. And I think he could be the odd man out, even though they just signed him over from Baltimore. So I'm not sure exactly how it's going to shake out, but they have tons of offensive linemen that they're going to have to sort through. And I think of way he was just the first step in clearing a muddied picture, so to speak. Yeah. Schweitzer Schweitzer probably stay. I mean, it's not a ton of money, but he's 3 million dead cap hit if you let him go. Right. Um, Once I saw it was a two-year deal, I figured it was enough in the year one where you're not going to, get rid of him right away. Yeah. And like I said, I'm not saying that's part of the plan, but you know, maybe they didn't, you know, my thought process was 
I don't think they expected to have McGovern and Tipman by the time right. the season started when they added him. But to be fair, I think um, it's been a while since they signed him now. But I remember watching and thinking he was a better guard than he was a center. They may not view him as a center. Um, Schweitzer? Yeah, so he may just right. be a backup guard. Um, yeah, he could be your swing guard. Yeah, And so, I think it's very rare for a team to carry like a true center-only backup. Right. So – it's good that but Tipman I think, I think and, that's where I think that's where McGovern I think McGovern is your center guard. Right. And um, Tipman, they say, can play guy. guard as well. He's played tackle in college or whatever. But I think it's good that you don't have a guy that's like a Dwayne Brown. He's a sole left tackle. We right. only have him. We don't have a sole left tackle and a sole center. I feel right. like that makes everything a lot more interchangeable. And that's what um, you know, Joe Douglas called the hallmark of his interior was versatility. So I think that we're going to see the best five, how it shakes out. But yeah, I like any combination you put out there is, is really good combination barring health. Obviously I feel like that right. doesn't need to be said anymore, but all right, we can transition now uh, back to a little bit of draft talk. We're going to go over um, all the AFC East draft classes because they were all pretty good. And it makes me a little sad that players that I liked went to teams that I don't like. And now I have to not root for them, but feel like kind of the opposite of like you felt with Jason Taylor. Like yeah. I want them to do well because I was like, Oh, this guy was my tight end one or two coming out of the draft and he's right. kicking ass. So it's, it's one of those tough positions, but which team do you want to start with? Obviously we know the jets draft class pretty in depth here. You want to go Buffalo, Miami or new England? What's well, who do you think had the worst class? Let's start there. Okay. So I think if I had to rank them, the only reason I would put this, team last even though it was the largest class was because they drafted a kicker and a punter and a couple of guys that I truly had no idea who they were and that was the New England Patriots okay let's start there then um, all right I can read off can, their class and then we can sure, go ahead or, 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 we can do it in groups or, or we can just read off the whole class and then go yeah, read off group. the whole class and then we'll just kind of go through who we like who we don't cool so in the first round they got Christian Gonzalez cornerback from Oregon uh, second round, Keon White, edge from Georgia Tech. Third round, Marte Mapu, linebacker safety from Sacramento State. Three fourth round picks, Jake Andrews, the center from Troy. Chad Ryland, the kicker from Maryland, which is the pick that they, I believe they traded with the Jets to go get. Uh, Saidi Sow, offensive guard, Eastern Michigan. Um, and Tony Maffi, offensive guard, UCLA. Kayshawn Butte in the sixth round, which is quite the slide for Butte, wide receiver out of LSU. Uh, punter Bryce Berenger from Michigan State, your guy Demario Douglas, wide receiver Liberty, and an underrated cornerback, I believe, in the sixth round, Amir Speed from Michigan State. So, I mean, I look at the top three, Gonzalez, White, and Mapu, and if you cut it there, we'd probably be talking about the Patriots last in the order of good to least. I think it kind of just took a deep nosedive in the fourth round, and that's to be expected. I mean, they're day three picks, but I, I don't know. I can't get up for tr trading up for a kicker, drafting a punter. You know, they, they drafted the kicker in the top 112. That doesn't make any sense to me. It's just a weird – it's Bill Belichickian and, and his ways. The offensive guards, I truly had no idea. Did you know either of these guys, Saidi Sow or Antonio Maffi? Um, Maffi, let me – I'm trying to think. Was he the UCLA guy? Yeah, Maffi. He was the UCLA guy, so I watched sure. him. A, I watched a little bit of him because I also watched John Gaines. I like John Gaines quite Gaines, a bit. Gaines, yes. Um, mm -hmm. So Maffi, I knew a little bit, thought he was solid, didn't watch a ton of him. Saidi Sow, absolutely not. 
Jake Andrews is a name I heard but hadn't watched because again, yeah. Troy finding Troy film, not the easiest thing in the world. So, so Jake Andrews was the center at the senior bowl when Keanu Benton's like clubbed him and his helmet turned completely sideways. I told that story a couple okay. months back. Yeah, he, that was Jake Andrews. So I was never really high on him after that moment, even though he was a solid player for Troy. But like you said, it's impossible to find Troy games. Yeah, exactly. That's the problem. Uh, but yeah, the, the Patriots class as a whole, I think, uh, you know, and we, and we talked it beforehand. We talked about it beforehand. If you want to look at, you know, potential potential steals, if, if the guy gets his head on straight, you know, I, I think we all know that, know that Keishon Butte can be an absolute monster for them. Yeah. Um, just big play receiver. Everybody thought, just, you know, yeah. everyone had him at the sort of top five receivers in college football to start the season. And then just for whatever reason, it's it sounded as if there were character issues um, at LSU where he all mm-hmm. of a sudden couldn't get on the field. When he did get on the field, he wasn't getting targets. And then he said he kind of surprised. Well, not, I can't say he surprised everyone. Surprised me saying he was going to return to school. And then what, like a week or two oh, later, yeah. he's like, nope, never mind. I'm entering yeah. the draft. So it's like these are some weird circumstances. I don't know what's going on. But the guy, you know, highly talented guy. If you can get somebody that late and roll the dice on him, why not? Um, I don't like – I didn't like the uh, – I didn't like picking up Mapu, Marte Mapu, who we talked about. He was a guy that yeah. I never even heard of till about three weeks before the draft. His name came up on a pod I was listening to. And then not long after that, I did an interview with Emery Hunt. And Emery Hunt mentioned him. So I went and looked for some of his games. Again, small school, um, had a really hard time finding anything on him. But when I did, you know, what games I was able to find, he was. He was all over the place. He was playing linebacker. He was playing safety. He was playing well at every spot. And you just look at those chess pieces and you think Bill Belichick – you know, he's going to be he's going to be somebody that will, you know, give you a hard time for for years to come. So Mapu could be maybe the the the, uh, the most impactful guy, at least early on, because I think they're going to find different ways to get him on the field. But the interior linemen from the small schools haven't watched them, can't really comment. Um, but Demario Douglas, he was a guy that I mentioned when I yep. wanted um, when I was hoping for Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, I thought maybe Tank Dell or Demario Douglas could be nice alternatives. Mm-hmm as uh you know slot guys and Douglas out of Liberty I think is a good player um again New England New England isn't the New England of old so I think a lot of these guys are going to have a chance to get on the field and and uh we'll find out if Belichick you know he's got a lot of bad draft classes that Tom Brady covered up for a lot of years um so we'll see what happens but I, I do like a lot of guys in this class but there are some guys I honestly I won't even pretend that I watched an old lineman from Troy um because it's, it's just not out there yeah, and I think it's kind of maybe maybe telling that NF or AFC East rivals of the Jets are going out and acquiring premium or dumping premium assets into the cornerback position, maybe to stop somebody that wears number eight in the green and white. But they went defense with their first three picks: corner, edge, linebacker, and I can see all three of them being <clears throat> impactful players in their their year one. I think Christian Gonzalez is a little raw. We talked about his tackling. A little bit and I think that's um, something he'll have to improve on but like we saw with Sauce Gardner he wasn't the best tackler but he's really good in other places too that make up for it so who knows I think that, that those top three though that's really where the the bread and butter of their draft yeah. class is we, can move on. Like we talked about we talked about beforehand you know the, the knock on Gonzalez is that he's not a he's not a uh, a, a, a physical guy if you know he yeah. can be a liability and, and run support but you know, he's primarily going to be asked to cover. If he can do that well, you know, Belichick will be happy. 
Yeah, and his ball skills are pretty good. I believe he had a career high when he transferred to Oregon in interceptions. So it's it's going to be cool. I mean, I think, um, yeah, I, it was a surprise that he was there at 17, especially after the trade back. So who knows? Like maybe maybe he's actually really, really good, and uh, he should have been picked in the top 10 like most mock drafts yeah, had. A of, yeah, a lot of people had him going there. Yeah. Um, all right, we can move on. Miami, I think, is the next next worst and I think Buffalo is right, you know, yeah. the best of the three. So Miami had a much shorter draft class. Uh, Cam Smith um, in the second round, cornerback, South Carolina. Devon A-Chain, running back, Texas A&M. Elijah Higgins, wide receiver, converted tight end from Stanford. He was a senior bowl player. And Ryan Hayes, offensive tackle from Michigan, another senior bowl player in the sixth and seventh rounds. So small draft class, but I think they did really well at getting players who are going to contribute for their team. I mean, I look at Cam Smith, he's going to have a role right away. And I think that their, their secondary is really scary with um, Jalen Ramsey now in the fold, Javon Holland over at safety. They had um, Kader Kohu, uh, their nickel guy. He came on late. I believe he was their nickel guy. He came on late. So, and then Devon A. Chain, I talked about on the show. I love Devon. You know, he was one of my, you know, return specialists that you could get in the, you know, early part of day three, you know, round four, Obviously, that didn't really happen because teams fall in love with athletic ability and speed and upside. So he didn't he didn't make it there, but he was still a top 100 pick. And Elijah Higgins, he was a senior bowl guy who got a lot of reps with the wide receivers and tight ends, a big body guy. Everybody was obsessed with Michael Wilson, his Stanford teammate at the senior bowl. But Elijah Higgins did pretty well, too, against the safeties in the one on ones. And, and Ryan Hayes, I mean, he didn't really stick out to me, but a Michigan program those tackles are going to be, you know, their offensive linemen rather are going to be solid. It's like a Wisconsin light. So yeah. what do you think of the Dolphins class? Yeah. Same thing with, 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 you know, you pick an offensive lineman from Michigan, you're going to get a guy, you know, there's a good chance he can play. I know yeah. they, were, they were considered by a lot of people to be the, you know, the best home line in the country. So you can kind of, you know, it, it's a safe, if, even if you're not sure what to do in that, you know, in that spot round three, like, Hey, just, just grab a lineman from Michigan or Wisconsin and, and, you know, see how it goes. And you, you, you got a good chance to hit on a late pick. But the, the big pick to me, um, or the, the small pick, uh, Devin A-Chain, right? He's, um, you add his speed to that, that huddle with the speed they already have. Track team. Yeah, I mean, we use that term, but he was a track star, you know? Mm-hmm. And those guys can run, man. Tyreek Hill, track star. Those guys can absolutely fly. You know, the one caveat is how many touches a game can you give a guy his size? Um, there is some concern there. I know, um, you know, I mentioned earlier the the, the draft network. I, I remember them talking about him one day and his, his pro comp was Dre Archer, who was very similar, very yeah. small back with elite speed. And he had like 40, 50 carries and then he was out of the league or touches. Um, so A-Chain, I mean, you can't, if you love football and you watch that guy play, you can't not love the the way that no one else on the field can catch him when he gets in the open, when he gets, when he gets behind a defense. Um, and the way it's he's tough to get a good angle on because he just breaks angles because he's so fast. So I think he can be a really good player. Smith, I think, is a good corner. So not many picks for the Dolphins, but um, but they did all right for themselves with the with the limited capital. Yeah, I'm just looking at their hour lads. You know, just their top two. You know, first and second stringers: Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill, Robbie Anderson. I'm going to call him Robbie. Uh, Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson, Devon A. Chain, like that's just speed, speed, speed. And I understand, you know, we beat them last year 
when they had uh, Teddy Bridgewater for one play, and then they beat us to end the season. But mm-hmm. it's going to be a, a tough matchup. I mean, they have obviously guys that are familiar with our team, Mike White, Braxton Berrios, Dan Feeney. Tyler Croft is on the team too, if that if that makes uh, any difference. But I think it's, it's going to be a, a hell of a division, and the Dolphins are going to be neck and neck with everybody here. I think the Patriots were the, the odd one out, and I don't even want to say that confidently because the Patriots should never be the odd one out. <laughs> all right going back going back now to the draft i lost it on the sheet all right i have buffalo here on the thing i'm not going to pull it up because i lost it on the screen share they had five picks as well um they started off first round dalton kincaid tight end out of utah second round osiris torrance guard out of florida who many thought was a first round pick third round dorian williams linebacker Tulane, who we love his coverage ability um, fifth round, Justin Shorter, wide receiver, Florida, and seventh round, Nick Broker, guard from Old Miss. This is a home run. Like I don't, I don't know how else to put it. These are guys I like every single one. I think the only one I, I told you I haven't, and you're putting him up here is Justin this, this Shorter. Is just to show you the block on the outside from Shorter, like this is how physical he can get. He's up here on the outside, comes down inside, boom, puts, oh, yeah. a, DB, puts a DB on his back. Like that's a guy oh, you yeah. want. That's a guy you want blocking. You know, if, if you want to be a big play offense, you want somebody like that in there. But, yeah, home run class, probably the best in the division. Um, I think so. Yeah. I mean, getting, you know, we talked during the season about, wanted, you know, willing to take Osiris Torrance when the Jets were supposed to be picking in the 20s. You know, I would take him at 23 or 20. Like he, I, I said at one yeah. point, I thought he might be the safest pick in this class. He's just that solid. Um, you know, he had some bad I, – I don't even want to say bad. If you watch him against Georgia, he had some reps where he got beat, but he's facing Jalen Carter, for God's sakes. Like, sometimes elite guys beat other elite guys. That's the way it goes. Um, yes. Dalton Kincaid, I forget what week I mentioned him. You know, when we do our weekly mentions, he was a guy that I said I liked. Um, early on, yep. Yeah, pretty early on. Osiris Torrance, as I said, we talked about him as a possible first-round pick. Dorian Williams probably watched less of him than any of the uh, – of the Bills picks. Well, and Alex Austin. I didn't watch a lot of Alex Austin, but I did watch a fair bit of Justin Shorter. I did watch a fair bit of Nick Broker uh, from Mississippi, who I liked. Um, I thought he would go earlier than seven. I think he's a guy, and he was a senior bowl guy, wasn't he, Broker? I'm sure he was. Yes, Broker was. Yeah, yep. I thought he was. Yeah, um, he's a guy that I kind of thought would be a mid-rounder, potential starter. He ends up going in the seventh. Um, so, really, the Bill. excuse me, the Bills um, – Three, four, five guys who I think will will play and play well. They had they had a really good class, and a lot of those guys can play early on. Yeah, right now they don't have um, Torrance as a starter on our lads. They have left to right: Deion Dawkins, Connor McGovern, Mitch Morris, Ryan Bates, Spencer Brown, and they have Torrance behind Ryan Bates at right guard. So that's a, a camp battle that potentially he could win and become the outright starter by week one. And I think that's very very within the possible realm of possibility for him. Uh, Nick Broker. Yeah. It was another guy. I thought slid. He was getting mocked. Oh, in like get the shorter and they're on a deep ball. Go ahead. Sorry. Mm-hmm. No, you're fine. The um, broker I felt was more of the late day two range, you know, maybe early day three at the latest. So I, to get him in the seventh round as maybe a, a developmental guy for them. Yeah. I mean, I'm, they're going to dedicate a lot of um, 12 personnel usage this year with uh, Dawson Knox and uh, Dalton Kincaid now. So we're going to have to, you know, get creative on how we adjust to covering those guys. I mean, I think 
we see what happens sometimes when Michael Carter II goes up against larger tight ends. He doesn't have the the most success. So we're gonna you're gonna have to see. We're gonna have to get some coverage linebackers. You know, it would have been nice to have a Dorian Williams to make these uh, linebackers a little bit or tight ends a little bit easier to cover. Uh, we have Zaire Barnes. Um, I don't know if he's you know a great coverage linebacker. I still think they need to add Quan Alexander. But it's going to be a new look Bills team. They're definitely going to be a very run the ball downhill, down your throat type of team. And it looks like they're building a team to be that, even though they have Josh Allen. They look like they're getting bigger, physical, looking ready to run the ball. Yeah, they they absolutely. And they're going to be, uh, you know, as I said, they were already considered the best team in the division by a lot of folks. And they got they just got better. Obviously, the Jets got a lot better, too. But solid class for Buffalo, you know, tip your cap and and hopefully the Jets. And the, the thing you mentioned, though, about covering the tight ends, like the, the Jets are going to have to find a way because right now, you know, I, I again, um, the week of the draft between our show and and hopping on with play like a jet and hopping on with Dom and and just I've done. So, I forget where I said what, but the, the middle of the defense does. It's my biggest concern right now. Like, I don't know that CJ Mosley. I don't know if CJ Mosley is a guy you want, you know, covering a tight end if if a team is able to, you know, create that matchup or if a guy if you know if the safeties, we don't know we don't know much about these safeties. Um we know Whitehead struggled last year mm-hmm. and it's uh let's see. It's 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 my biggest concern other than QB2. QB2 is a huge concern for me for this team and the middle of the field um on defense is a big concern for me. Um and we, yeah. you know, hopefully, hopefully neither of those things turn out to be issues. But Barnes is an interesting guy. He is very athletic, um, very explosive. I posted a play uh, against a couple plays actually. It's funny. I I found a game against Pitt, and and uh, hate when this happens when you turn on a game to watch a, a specific prospect, and he literally like the first two or three snaps like made wow plays like oh this is gonna be great oh wow and he's like quiet for the rest of the game like you know tackle here t- but like no mm-hmm. no wow plays. Um, but you, you just saw the explosion. It was a, a, a swing pass to, to Abana Canada, and he recognized it and just exploded into the backfield. Abana Canada sort of was trying to double catch it, and, and uh, Barnes just took out his legs, took a, you know, blew him up, and, and the ball fell incomplete. Um, so he's, he's an explosive guy. He's an athletic guy. He's long. So maybe he can be that cover guy. And, you know, I think sometimes, and we're all guilty of it, especially if it's a player we haven't seen a ton of, we just assume, like, well, haven't seen him. Fifth, sixth rounder, you know, he's, he's going to be a backup. Well, maybe not. Right. Maybe he plays. Exactly. Um, maybe, maybe he steals some snaps from from Quincy Williams. I think that would be a that would be a good thing to have a good development. So we'll we'll see what happens. But as of right now, covering the tight ends is, is a concern. Yeah, that'll definitely be one to watch. I think I'm very vocal in my let's re-sign Quan Alexander, and perhaps that that's not even a thought for them. And but is he, you mentioned, is he even a cover guy though? Like, can we say sure. he's a cover yeah, guy? Yeah, right. You know, not. I it's like it's hard to. And I, and I yeah. think he will be back. It feels like he will. It's hard to put him in that bucket, though, as a coverage guy, though, for sure. And that's, that's I just consider him a spark plug of the defense. Yeah, and I like, like him a lot. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, he just but doesn't feel the need where we're talking about, I guess. Is right. Point. Yeah. And, and in the middle of the field, talking about the safeties, the two names that jump out to me, I think, would probably be um, Adrian Amos. I don't know if they, they love the safety play that happened in Green Bay between him and Savage. Maybe he's not on their radar. And then I think uh, John Johnson. He's out there still. So there are some names, but yeah, I, I think it goes back to what we said. Tony Adams is probably going to get a lot of run in this defense. And and Will Parks, I know he has special teams upside, but I think they're going to rely on Will Parks against these tight ends potentially too. 
I'll tell you what, though. Um, again, who knows what the hell is going to happen, UDFA. But when you get a chance, um, watch Marquise Waters, the Texas Tech undrafted free agent. Okay. He's, he's a guy um, – I watched a couple of his games, and I was like, God, it seems like he's lining up all over the place, this guy. So, luckily – see, this is where PFF can be useful, right? Because we always say, oh, PFF is garbage. I love using PFF for stuff like this. I'm like, I feel like this guy's lining up everywhere. Um, and I pull up his PFF uh, game logs – and he's got he's got a couple hundred snaps at inside linebacker, a couple hundred snaps at outside linebacker, a hundred plus snaps at, at nickel at nickel. So he is lining up covering all over the place and playing at a high level. So much so that you know, again, he's one of those guys you look at and think nobody took a seventh round flyer on a guy that can play inside, outside, nickel, athletic. Um mm-hmm. so um again, based on the need, like you talk about, you know, looking at UDFAs and who might make the roster and who might not. Of course, you're looking at need like Trey Dean. He's a safety. They need safety help. Marquise yeah. Waters plays safety and linebacker. He can be, again, a, sort of a, a backup at a couple of different spots. So mm-hmm. there are some guys to, to keep an eye on out of this UDFA class. Marquise Waters, probably the guy I was least familiar with, but watched a few of his games last week and then and thought his versatility and his his you know, explosiveness. He's a guy that maybe sticks. Yeah. I think the um, general fan consensus on Twitter seems to be that Jason Brownlee is going to be the UDFA that, you know, everybody's excited for this season, but I don't know necessarily think that that's going to be the guy there, There's plenty of them. I think they signed 13. So Marquise Waters, I'm excited. And he fits a need, like you said, safety. So if he can do other they things, have a where, lot of linebackers, like I think yeah. one of them sticks, I think they yeah, feel exactly. like, you know, we're sitting here talking about how linebacker is a concern for us. They added what I think they signed three linebackers. Three, and, three. Yeah, uh, Malik, Malik Hall. They added. They added Caleb Johnson, uh, who played for Miami, and Claude and Charles. Um, Charles yeah. to me, um, I can't remember who I found. I watched one of his games in full, and he. I mean, he was an absolute monster. Of course, he's playing at a smaller school, lower level competition, but you know, great motor and just anticipation, getting into the backfield, had a bunch of tackles for loss. I think he had one or two sacks, so he really looked like a player. And they again, they're bringing in three guys that play linebacker as UDFAs. They're bringing in some safeties, and these are the guys who have a shot to stick. And I think you know these receivers, Xavier Gibson, right, return man, super mm-hmm. explosive, like looks like a, he could be a slot guy. Brownlee, I think, could be a guy who challenges somebody like Mims. So some of these guys, I think we might see like you know four guys stick. Yeah, and that's not to say that they will have impact roles from no, the no, get, like, don't, but, don't. And, but that goes to show where the roster is, that it's in a place where they're not reliant on these young guys anymore, but they can still use these young guys in developmental roles now, where if we, like, I feel like Jets fans, we've been so focused on actually trying to win a damn football game that we never had a developmental guy on the roster that we've sit and like let them learn the team and everything and then become a starter in year two or three and Tony mm-hmm. Adams, Marquise Waters, all those linebackers. Fred Warner was a third-round pick for Robert Sala, and he groomed him to be the best linebacker in the league. I'm not saying Zaire Barnes is on that same career trajectory, but right. Robert Sala knows what he's doing at the position. So like, I think we feel a little uncomfortable about it, but the perception could be completely different inside the building with the position. So I'm excited to see how it shakes out. I think camp's going to be fun. If you can put, peel your eyes away from Aaron Rodgers at camp to watch the linebacker battle, the running back battle, obviously the safety battle and the tackle battle. I think those are the four non-quarterback positions in camp that are really going to, you know, be be challenging because there's a lot of players there that we don't know what their roles are going to be. 
All right. With that, do you want to uh, touch on the the Albert Breer article real quick? Yeah, just you know, briefly. Like I said, I only I, I read it the day it came out. Um, yeah, same. One of three of the same articles. It's an exclusive article that that Hughes, Samini, Dabowski, and Albert Breer all had similar, you know, taste yeah, flavors Breer, of. To me, Breer and I and I tweeted out a few weeks ago. Like, I can't wait till this is all done and we get Albert Breer's version of what happened. Right. He, he, he's the best. He's he's sort of like the low key guy that he, like he doesn't get enough attention because he doesn't break a lot of news. But when he does break news, like, and he spells it out and draws out you know shows you how everything unfolds i just think he's the best at that mm-hmm. um I, yeah i know connor and samini and i didn't know the other guy had one but breer is my go-to when it comes to stuff like this um mm-hmm. and you know the things that jumped out at me the you know the first positive that i liked that uh you know and we we talk i mean i i'm pretty sure i mentioned this when uh during the season you know if the jets get aaron Rodgers, this might be the thing that helps zach wilson and you know, he said Wilson was on board at the end of the season when the Jets said they would get a vet. Wilson understood, mm-hmm. uh, which is good, shows some maturity, uh, but was excited when he heard it was going to be Rodgers. That's like, if this doesn't work for Zach Wilson, nothing was going to. The Jets are doing the 100% right thing by Zach Wilson to say, we're not going to dump you. We're not going to trade you. I mean, he doesn't have any value right now anyway, if we're being honest. But not only are we going to work with you, we're bringing in the guy who you grew up watching and emulated. And he's going to sit in front of you and like talk you through things and you're going to learn from him. There is no better way. If this doesn't work, you can't tell me there was another way to get it to work for Zach Wilson. Um, this yeah. is it. Um, so he's excited. That's awesome. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, and I don't want to come across weird with this, but even Zach Wilson's mom on Instagram loved the move and was posting about how, you know, pictures of uh, Zach and Aaron in the joint practices. And when we went to Lambeau and that, them talking and this and that. So she wouldn't post that if he wasn't cool with it. You know what I mean? So yeah. it was cool to see the, the almost like a confirmation that yeah. he's cool with it. He's just going to sit back the whole, I'm going to make his life practice or practice life hell like every hell. day. And then Rogers well, he didn't being, know it was going to be Aaron Rogers. And, I mean, and then Rogers almost made it weirder by saying, I'm going to make his life off the field heaven. Like, I think that could just go into total, like many different ways that you don't know what he's thinking exactly. So it's just very weird messaging from those two, but yeah, they, give them a week or two together you know there was a rumor that they were playing golf the other day together i don't know if it's true maybe it is maybe it isn't but they're going to bond rogers is going to bond with the team and zach wilson is going to be a part of that jordan love was a part of um rogers you know mentoring he was mentoring jordan love the entire time josh allen even said on a recent interview that aaron Rodgers has reached out to him a, a handful of times via text message just to you know, give pointers and talk ball and this and that. So Aaron Rodgers is very connected with all these young quarterbacks and and it's probably the best thing for Zach Wilson's career is to just stay here, learn, and hopefully you could be the guy. And if not, maybe you get paid somewhere else to go be that guy and you get that opportunity. But yeah, I definitely agree. That's definitely a positive. Were there any, any negatives that you wanted to point out specifically or were you just saying that was a positive? No, that, that was that was the first thing in the article I think that jumped okay. out as being positive. Um, the only thing, I mean, a lot of it, you know, I, I, my, my thoughts on the compensation are well documented. I thought the Jets overpaid. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think that when you only have one person willing to buy your product, you know, that person has some leverage and the Jets kind of, the Jets, they gave their leverage away. They, they basically, the Jets acted like they were, you know, like courting a girl and to prove their loyalty to her wouldn't even take a phone number off another girl. 
Like the Jets could have leaked that they called about Stafford. The Jets could have leaked that they were mulling internally about Lamar Jackson. Just to put the thought in the Packers' head, like, hey, if we play this wrong, we don't have another buyer. And that was the key thing that Breer drove home. Um, well, not that he drove home, but jumped out at me. He confirmed what – I mean, listen, I said many times that I thought Craig Carton was, you know, was full of it. That these 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 Twitter reporters who were saying they were mystery teams getting involved, I said they were full of it, and they all yeah. were. They were all lying. They were all trying to get clicks. Mm-hmm. Rear confirmed the Packers called around. The only team that said we will take Aaron Rodgers was the Jets. That's yep. it. They had one customer, one buyer, and it would have been best for them to say, "All right, guys, Aaron wants us. We want Aaron. Packers have no other buyers, and they owe him a hundred million if we don't make this deal." So let's let's let it be known that we're talking to Stafford and we're talking to that and and get them. But instead, the Jets went, no, we promise we won't talk to any. They they gave away all the leverage they had. And that's how the Packers were able to say, we don't need a first rounder to make this happen. But we got one anyway, because the Jets, the Jets gave them more than what even the Packers said was required. I know there's people. Oh, but the Packers wanted two ones and five threes. And that's fine. You can want that. But nobody's stupid enough to think that was going to happen. Right. Um, so the Jets were the only buyer. Um, they did give away their leverage by not making, you know, by not throwing any other names out there and staying loyal to the, the Rogers idea, um, which is frustrating because, you know, as I've said, you know, I've, I've, I've done a couple where I've said, and I said the night of the trade, right? Happy where they are, not happy with how they got there. I thought they could have sure. played it better, got them for less, but they didn't. Um, uh, but the thing that made me cringe where I just, I was a little bit nauseous was when, uh, you know, Breer says, um, Joe Douglas needed another win to bring to Woody Johnson. So when he got the Packers to give up a five for a six, he knew it was done. I was like a five for a, that's your big win. Yeah. That's your big moment. Like running to Woody Johnson's office. We got a fifth. Yeah. They moved up 37 picks in the draft. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, and we're also flipping ones and they're getting the higher of the twos and they didn't want a one, but we're giving them one anyway. And so, you know, I know, listen, it's, it's a happy time for Jets fans and they don't want anything that sounds negative and, you know, raining on anyone's parade. But, you know, fact of the matter is the Jets, they gave Green Bay just about everything. No, they didn't give up, you know, two ones and three threes. And, but, the, you know, that was the other part of it. They said, they said the Packers wanted to model the Stafford deal. Stafford was like six years younger at the time of his trade. Yeah. They were getting a potential five-plus year quarterback. The Jets are getting a potential two-plus year quarterback. Right. Like those things matter, but people don't, people just, they just think Aaron Rodgers, Hall of Fame, first rounder, fair. That's it. They don't look at like, but they had mm-hmm. no other options and he is 40 and he did just have his worst year in like 10 years. None of that. Nobody wants to hear that. They just think Hall of Famer, first rounder, done. Um, surface level stuff. Let's not dig deep as to why it happened. Um, you know, I, I was going over it with some guys on Jet Nation the other day and that, you know, everyone's all for it and I'm an idiot because I wanted the Jets to give up less. Um, but I don't, I'm not going to, even if they win a Super Bowl, that doesn't mean this deal couldn't have happened for less. Like it makes it more worth it. And you, you care less about the picks they gave up, but like what happens in the future doesn't change like what happened with the actual trade, which was they gave away their leverage and had to give up more capital. Yeah. And and to put context to the whole thing of Joe Douglas raising his hand, being the only one to raise his hand. I thought that that whole timeline was pretty unique. Rodgers and Brian Gutekunst, the Packers GM, were supposed to meet in Los Angeles during the NFL Collegiate Bowl, and it didn't happen. And then there was another meeting that they tried to put together in person, and it didn't happen. And then Gutekunst was quietly – this is a direct quote from Breer – 
Uh, Gutekunst quietly started to gauge interest in Rodgers from other people he trusted with other teams, carefully careful both in whom he talked to and how he phrased the question. It went something like this. I don't know if he's going to play or retire or play with us or someone else, but just so I know, if he wants to move on, would you be interested? Joe Douglas was the only person to raise his hand and say yes. So, I mean, it makes me nervous, obviously. Um, I don't know why it's like phrased as though Goot was like going behind the league's back, it seemed like. Well, I don't obviously know. It's just behind Aaron's back. So that it wouldn't I, get back I, I think, to Aaron. I think, you know, plausible deniability and being able yeah. to say, we're, we're not shopping him. We didn't call an offer Aaron to anyone. Because then he would be telling he did the at the owner's that. meeting. Yep. Yeah. All, all he said was, you know, hey, if Aaron decides he wants, would you be interested? That's not mm-hmm. shopping. That's just asking some questions. So right. I think that's probably why he worded it that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not going to make too much of a mockery of it, but I mean, of all these, you know, and again, this is where age comes in, right? Age, everyone seems to understand that there are factors that, that play into this stuff. When when nobody, when only one team wanted Lamar Jackson, the Ravens, it was like, mm-hmm. oh, he's a former MVP. Look at all this collusion. And like, then you have a guy who's won two in the last, what, three, four years, and only one team wanted him, the Jets. And everyone's right. like, yeah, that's cool. You know, like, well, that yeah, was what I was about to ask is like, do you actually believe that the Jets were the only ones that wanted Aaron Rodgers? Yeah. Or it, it's it's very weird because in a normal like landscape of the league, you would think there'd be 15 teams lining up for a two time MVP in the last three years and whatnot. And it was just very maybe it was the contract. I don't know, but it was just very it, weird. That's how, what I mean. It's it's you're you're inheriting a hundred million dollars in in contract and yeah. giving up again whatever they were asking for from other teams, one or two ones, whatever. Like I said at the outset, I'm not giving up any ones. For a guy who's got a year, you know, mm-hmm. and again, mate, like as I said a million times, you approach it like it's a year because you don't know that it will be more than that. It now looks like it will be at least two, which is at least this, you know, makes the deal slightly better. Mm-hmm. But I'm not giving up first rounders for any for any guy who's playing a year or two. Like your right. first round picks are viewed as ten year starters. When you're when you start giving up ones for a one year rental, two year rental, that's crazy, and that's why you don't see it. Like I said that a few times. People that were defending it. I'm like, show me the other player. Because Hall of Fame players have been traded at different times mm-hmm. in their career. Show me a Hall of Fame player that got traded for two ones and a two and a pick and a player when they had a year or two left in their career. And it just doesn't happen. Right. Until now. Yeah, it's until now. And I think that that is the, the precedent that is now set because people are going to use this trade now for future quarterback trades. And they're going to say, well, Aaron Rodgers was 39 when he got traded. Come take these 35-plus-year-old quarterbacks. What's that? That's why the Jets should have used the far trade and said that was a 39-year-old future Hall of Fame 39-year-old quarterback. Yeah, And And I'm sure that's probably where they started. You know, the the Packers were at the the Stafford trade and the Jets were at the Favre trade and they tried to to meet in the middle. It didn't really end up that way. It ended up – 98% 98% of the way toward the, the Packers. Right. <laughs> but, right. you know, that's, that, and I, that is the, the other thing that was so shocking to me. And I think anyone who even supported the trade, I mean, listen, some people won't admit anything negative about whatever, but I don't know anyone that can honestly say having the, having the condition tied, having nothing to do with performance was shocking. Like that's what I was hung every, up on. That the every swap. single person yeah. was like, if they make the playoffs, if they win a playoff game, if they go to the Super Bowl, like it becomes a one. Yep. The, Win the division, no yeah. performance. 
I mean, listen, if this unfolds like the, you know, like the Favre season, the, like the ultimate nightmare scenario, they start out eight and three, Rodgers gets dinged up, they lose four out of five, they miss the playoffs, the Packers get a first round pick, and maybe he's like, oh man, I'm done with this, I'm leaving. Like you give up a one for nothing. You give up a one to get eight or nine wins. I don't think that's what's going to happen. As no. I said, they're going they're going seventeen and zero. We've already established that. Yeah. But I'm just saying. Exactly. I'm just saying the risk. The risk, and that that's the other part of it. That's why I thought the Jets would protect themselves against something like that by saying, like to me, even a two for sixty percent of the snaps, that's not good. Like that's that's a two for just over half of the snaps. It should have been if you wanted it to be no. It's playing time shouldn't have been on the table. It should have been either been about. Or, it should or have been an MVP. If he gets an MVP vote, yep. one MVP. Well, no, because then Belichick would have voted for him for the MVP. Um, if he gets everybody would have, yeah. The, well, All the Packers, the Packers, fans, the Packers yeah. and the, the Packers and the Patriots. So would have three. If he gets yep. three MVP votes, you get a one. You know, if if he throws thirty touchdown passes, you get a two. If we, you know, if we make the playoffs, you get a two. Yep. But he shows up to work most of the time, and you get a one. That's crazy. Yeah, that and the pick swap, I think, were the the sticking points for me personally as far as my displeasure for the trade. But that's not to take away from the 17-0 that we talked about earlier. We yeah. don't want to end on a negative not, note. Yeah, listen, opening week one, Aaron Rodgers throws his first touchdown pass. You think I'm going to give a damn about the draft compensation that day? No, uh, no, no. Especially now if they, they, they missed the playoffs good. and we're looking at round one next year? Sure. Sure. I'm gonna be, then, it, then it's acceptable if we get to the end of the season. The wall. Yeah, I was gonna say if we get to the end of the season and we aren't in the the bracket come January, sure we can have that conversation. But I think most Jets fans just gotta relax a little bit, you know, just just take it easy. We have the whole summer to debate to go into these hypotheticals, and they've already started. If you want to, if you want a great place to get into these hypotheticals. The forums over at JetNation.com. They're the spot. I think you can find a topic on just about anything, draft-related, Jets-related. Somebody has – it's just crazy. You can go down so many wormholes with that forum. Glenn, um, you, you're always on there. You hype it up constantly. Um, I'm going to hype it up here. I'm also going to plug our Twitter accounts. Glenn has a new handle. He is no longer at AceFan23. He is now at JNRadio underscore Glenn. That is Glenn with two N's. You can follow his Jets um, draft account at Jets Picks, at Jets P-I-C-K-S. He has already started putting out 2024 prospects. Um, he's put out all the UDFA highlights. Um, I'm pretty sure every single draft pick has already been highlighted multiple times on that draft account. So go follow that one, Jets P-I-C-K-S. You can follow me on Twitter at D-Terriman. You can follow Jet Nation on all social media platforms, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, we probably have a MySpace if you want to go find that one too. We appreciate everybody in the comment section tonight. Everybody seems to be in love with the schedule. The primetime games are a little hit or miss, but we'll, we'll dive deep into all that. We know our week one opponent is the Buffalo Bills. Let's prepare for them. Let's kick Josh Allen's butt. Start the season 1-0. Until next time, let's go Jets. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. 
So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.